0: Welcome to another episode of the Word Necromancers Podcast. I am K.A. Miltimore, along with Philip M. Jones, and it is my delight to introduce to you today author Martin Shannon, who has created the Amazing Tales of Weird Florida series. So welcome to the show.
1: Well, thanks a lot for having me.
0: This is something I have really been excited to discuss with you because I have the privilege of knowing you on Twitter and kind of having these back-and-forth conversations about how you've created this series. And your stamina and fortitude should get a gold medal in the Writers' Hall of Fame. It's amazing.
1: Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. The the, the process of getting from, uh, from where we started to uh, here has been... Uh, nothing if not exceedingly difficult, but also it's been a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to get into that process so that other writers can kind of see how this has worked for you. But first, I'm really interested in what got you into writing in the first place.
1: You know, uh, I did a little of it in college. Uh, you know, like everybody, I took a you know, maybe a creative writing course or something in college. I enjoyed it. Uh, it, it was really quite terrible writing, but I enjoyed it. Um, then, you know, like normally happens, life starts to get in the way. You get a job, you, have, uh, you get married, you have a family. You know, other things take priority. And about, uh, I want to say about three years ago, I had a, uh, a what at the time could have been a, a major or a minor health scare. But it was enough that like any good red-blooded man, I ignored it and then uh, of course eventually my wife said you know you really need to see a specialist or something so I went and did that and there was sort of a a fear of uh, of god if you will moment where they say well it could be nothing it could be something we need to run these tests to uh, to remove any concern it was absolutely nothing but but that moment is um you know that that sort of time when you're sitting there wandering around going, oh my goodness, you know, what am I walking into? Mm-hmm. Uh, is when you sort of say, well, you know, if there are things you want to do you you really ought to go do them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no point in sitting around waiting for some magical moment. You know, don't wait for some retirement. Don't wait for some, um, you know, some specific uh, event to happen to go do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it that in mind that about uh, three years ago I want to say I went and uh, I got back. I tried to get back into writing. I was writing maybe, you know, 100 words a day, 200 words a day, something that, that, you know, it it felt enormous at the time. But uh, I I knew that the writing was still really very terrible. And um, I actually tracked down and interviewed and ended up hiring a kind of a writing coach, uh, for lack of a better word. And that made all the difference in the world. Uh, Just a constant sort of I'd produce words they would go through them. They would you know shred them up in the nicest way possible Send them back to me and then we would continue this process, you know day after day week after week month after month and um, You know that gave me you know some confidence, but at the same time it gave me a a lot of really focused practice Um, and then you know, I, I started upping those word counts, going from 100 to 200, up to 800, and now I write about uh, 3,000 words a day.
0: Mm. So you had to be pretty open to the the prospect of having someone criticize your writing. I mean, nobody likes obviously to be criticized, but I mean, how did you kind of embrace that process so that it didn't kind of wear you
1: down? you know what it was think of it this way you go to the you to the bookstore you go to you know um, you know you order something on amazon you read some other book uh, and you look at it and you think wow well this is really good and and how did they do this and you would sit there and you hold up what you've written and you hold up this other book and you say why are these two things not similar what is it that this person is doing that I can't I can't see in other words you know, if you're going to tile a floor, you got to know all the different steps that are involved, and the clearing the floor, and the scraping it, and the the right thin set, and the right uh, you know trowel, and how all this goes goes together. And I think at that moment, it was sort of well, listen, I have no idea what I'm doing, so I should find someone who does. And um, once they outline the areas that I'm weak, and you know that I need work on. Well then, that's where it's time to go and get the materials and get the um, you know the books, get the uh, you know the training. Say, all right, you know. In, initially, one of the I'll give you an example. One of the initial comments I had was, "Your dialogue is terrible," mm. and I said, "Oh, well, okay, we can we can we can work with terrible. Uh, we can work on that." So I spent a lot of time reading authors that are supposed to have had rather good dialogue. An you know, example, maybe a Stephen King. You know, you can like or not like Stephen King, but I I would think a lot of people would agree that he has a very uh, lively dialogue and that it feels very real. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time studying the dialogue, looking at, um, you know, screenplays and looking at uh, screenwriting because, you know, you've got no description there at all. It's pure dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the goal was really try to take the comments that came back and go back through those manuscripts and go back through those things and and apply them and try to turn weaknesses into strengths. Anytime someone found something I wasn't doing very well well that's just that's an opportunity to get better.
0: Wow that's that's so impressive I I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and I'm thinking I don't know I'm pretty tender-hearted when it comes to I mean I can take some criticism but being told wow your dialogue's terrible that you've got to really be wanting to improve and engage to kind of take that feedback in in that positive spirit so I commend you on that that's amazing
1: well thank you and in case that my book coach happens to be listening I don't know that they exactly said terrible but <laughs> plenty of other people did so uh, just to just to set the record straight no I, I mean I, I think that you know, it's, if, if you've ever been involved in, in sports, and I spent a few years, uh, especially as a, as a kid, involved in a number of different sports, and if you've ever been involved in sports, that's kind of that same concept where, you know, the great coaches will find what you're good at and, of course, put you in a position to, to excel because of the skills or the, the, the trainings that you have, but then they'll also find the things you're not very good at and help you get over those humps mm. help you you know become better in areas that were perhaps you were weak and I mean it's it, what do we used to say it's like uh, it's like pushing the problem around the car right mm. the car is still the car at the end of the day so just because I fixed the the, the engine doesn't mean the windows are going to work great it doesn't mean that we're not going to push the problem into some other area mm. so you know I could work on dialogue for for many months which I did. And of course, that means descriptions start to slide a little bit. You know, I see people like you and others, and I think, oh, dang it, they are good at describing stuff. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, now I'm stuck, kind of sitting down, going, all right, all right, all right. Well, we haven't been working on this, so you know, we've got to, we've got to, you know, sharpen the blade over here now a little mm. bit. So, wow. you know, it's it's a never-ending process, yeah. right? Be better tomorrow than you were today.
0: Yes, yes, agreed. Philip, I'm going to give you an opportunity to jump in here. Any thoughts on that?
2: I was I was going to say I feel like um, my writing story has a shares a lot with yours. And getting um, a person to come in and look at what I did, excuse me, and give me some feedback. How um, how many times did you like? I mean, one of the things that I experienced, my first manuscript was just a disaster, of course, and, you know, went through many, many rewrites. Uh, what was that process like for you as you, you wrote, you got this, um, you know, this completed story or, or book, you can't put it in someone else's hands, you get this feedback. How, what was that like for you in terms of rewrites and things like that?
1: Well yeah, it's a good question. I would say that for the very first manuscript it was a full manuscript was a uh, was believe it or not a middle grade fiction so it was a it was a kid's book my uh, my child was right around that age and um, I decided to try my hand at that when I got to the end and I did the 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 set of revisions like you were talking about, you know there were some challenges, but I think for me the excitement was in the okay, you know I, I read this chapter and it, it sounds okay but could I make it better? And then you go back and you make it better and you read it a second time. and say, "Ooh, well, that, that sounds a lot better. And then you move to the next one. And you go, oh, gosh, well, that's terrible. All right. And then you, you kind of kept going through this process. The biggest challenge I had and what, I, what the original coach and then my follow on editor had uh, beaten into me and continues to beat into me is knowing when to stop. And that mm-hmm. is, uh, is the true, uh, to me, that's the true mark of greatness is knowing when to go, OK, stop, stop. You're done. Stop. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. You're only going to make it worse. Um, that's a challenge. And I think to avoid that, um, because I keep a, a rather uh, gargantuan quota, uh, I moved to, new, to the new manuscript almost within days of completing the last one. So I got done with a middle grade fiction book and I said, this was fun. And I enjoyed it. You know, My, my child read it. I, I was able to uh, bribe my wife into reading it. Um, and then from there, I said, you know, I I really need to, to write about some gritty military characters that cuss and have guns and, you know, do really manly things. So I wrote a, a three-book uh, military sci-fi series, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process. It was cathartic um to, uh, to do that. But again, after the revisions were done, I, you know, my editor pressed me. He says, you know, are you going to publish it? And I said, no, it's not there yet. This is not... The writing's not where I want it to be, so um, it continues to sit in a drawer, and uh, I moved on to the Tales of Weird Florida, and that um, finally, I think, is going to be the first time when um, I'll actually get over that hump and push it out into the world.
0: (laughs) Well, tell us about Tales of Weird (laughs) Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about this universe you've created.
1: Oh, okay, so uh, basically, uh, I of course uh, do live in Florida. I've grown lived here pretty much my entire life, short of a quick stint in Texas. But it wasn't nearly hot or humid enough there for me, so I had to come back. <laughs> uh, no, uh, basically the we idea won't was hold against you. there. You go. Well, we all live on the coast, so there's a little bit of weird on every coast. Uh, but now, yes. the 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 idea, the concept here was uh, was really simple. Um, you know, I grew up in a tiny little town, uh, right up against the ocean. It, 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 you know, it was think of it like like Maine in Florida, right? I mean, this is a tiny little town, like a like a fishing town, like a tourist village right on the water, and because it was so small, it had a lot of uh, nooks and crannies, if you will. It had a lot of little dead-end streets. It had a lot of old houses. It had, um, you know, strange uh, uh, tides. It had little, you know, tidal areas and stuff. It was a, it was a tiny town, and I enjoyed the, excuse me, the mystery of it. Right. So for tales of weird Florida, what I wanted to do, um, I was uh, really unabashedly a fan of um, of some of the earlier. Urban fantasy works before it really got into um, what I would call more romance. Right, there's a large, uh, and we even talked about this today in the uh, anthology. But there's a large number of paranormal romance. There's a lot of uh, of paranormal, um, you know, romance. You know, it's a, it's a big part of that uh, urban fantasy industry and. I really enjoyed some of the original, you know, Jim Butcher's, of course, original Dresden Files. I uh, was a big fan of White Wolf games, Uh, the the Vampire, the Masquerade, the Mage, uh, you know, all of those those sort of 90s era uh, games and that idea of blending uh, fantasy elements with uh, modern day. I think what got me interested in, in "Weird Florida" and how I presented is I wanted someone uh, as a character that felt like, um, you know, uh, and I hate to say it, but, but like a, a Harry Dresden, like a, a tales or like a, a, a modern-day uh, magician or wizard or something that had a family, because having a family and having grown up in a large family, it's, there's a lot of complexity. Mm-hmm. That goes into having. There's a lot of drama that goes into to being a dad and or or of course being a mom. But you know being a parent and dealing with those sorts of things. And then I wanted to show how would somebody like this? How would someone with these sort of you know, this whole bevy of supernatural problems? How would they take those and handle them in the context of having kids? and uh dealing with you know meeting your son or daughter's significant other for the first time or you know when your family goes away on vacation for a weekend and you know these I wanted to try to create that sort of world and try to um take the elements of my you know my you know my youth the weird Florida and the way things are A little bit crazy down here and um, and turn it into something and you know it's funny the the very first Weird Florida short story was just uh, oh boy it was was madcap crazy Uh, it's like anything when you're experimenting with something maybe you turn the dial up to 10 and you didn't quite mean to Um, the first short story in Tales of Weird Florida read very uh, jagged almost like um, not nearly as polished as something like John dies at the end Right where there was a lot of narration, there was a lot of of sarcasm, there was a lot of movement, and you know I enjoyed it, but uh, I think that a few others were you know it was it was too much sound and fury, it was moving too fast, it was a clanging gong. Mm. Um, so I, I I didn't give up though because I liked it so much and I felt like that Jean Law character was um, you know had something. So uh, I took a course on uh, on short stories because I felt like I was terrible at them. And um, and worked on that and started using that Lester Dent Pulp Fiction model and produced twelve of them as I wrote these uh, these five novels. That it just was it was a fun way to really get to know these characters and to get to know the you know his interactions with his wife and his kids and all those sorts of things. And you know it, it's weird. They say that that once you get to know them well enough, they kind of direct the plot. You know, mm-hmm. they start doing things that you you sort of you know, you almost feel like you've got to sit there and just chronologue their actions, Mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to uh, predict the movements they're going to make one day to the next.
0: I, I completely agree with that, and I also have had the experience of working on some shorts while I'm working on the main novels, and I do think it adds some flavor and gives you a chance to kind of experiment with some ideas that then maybe end up in the novel or, you know, you take things a different way based on using those short stories, so... I like the idea of, of kind of drafting, at the same time, some shorts and the full-length novel to kind of have a, a sandbox to play in. So Yeah, and,
1: and and that's kind of what I did. What I did was I said, you know, for instance, in, in the first book, Gene uh, loves to mention things that happened in the past, you know. This was nothing like that time when, you know, my daughter was born, or this was nothing like that that monster that went after the mechanic, or this was, and each one of those times, where our hero says some type of, you know, sort of leaves a breadcrumb. Mm -hmm. I make note of that kind of mentally. And I go back and write a short story on it so that, you know, when you read the book, you'll see these little hints and then you'll find the short stories. And then, you know, if you want, you can read them. If you don't, that's fine. But if you do, it just adds a little more to the narrative, Mm -hmm. right? It, It sort of creates a little more tie between you and the character.
0: And are you going to use those short stories really as kind of hooks, kind of giveaways to get people into the series?
1: That's exactly the plan. I have about 12, I think, 12 or 14 of them at this point. Uh, they're all very similar style. For uh, If you've read the, the short story that I give away free on the website or the one in Magician's uh, Weekend, which is in the, uh, the Autumn Nights uh, anthology, they're all that same style, and the idea is that between each novel... If, the you know, if the reader is so inclined, they'll find different short stories that would logically take in place either before the book or in between the two books. So um, they provide sort of a, a you know, a, something to tide you over, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the full main course, but it's a snack.
0: <laughs> well, I have been reading Dead Set, which is the first of the series, and it comes out the week of Halloween, correct?
1: Yes. yes and
0: yes. i immediately envisioned cuz i'm a i'm very visual and i use a lot of pop, pop culture references as i'm reading i thought this character jean law is bruce campbell he is ash versus the living dead in his dry delivery in his humor just i could just picture bruce campbell in my head so vividly as i'm reading and i mentioned this to you and you said that Bruce was actually somebody you had envisioned as you were writing.
1: Yes, 100%. In Sorry. fact, Bruce, if you're listening right now, you just just <laughs> drop me a line and right? I'm, I tell you all about it. We have a great conversation, uh, you know, Netflix, Amazon, this is, that's the right guy you want for your Tales of Weird Florida make. Absolutely. Uh, no, it, it really was. He was the, the, the guy I had in mind. I mean, I, I remember him uh, from a, uh, a very uh, unpleasant uh, tonsillectomy recovery and watching, I don't know how many uh, episodes of Burn Notice, yes. probably 70, 80 <laughs> in a five day period. I mean, was, tonsillectomies <laughs> are terrible in your 30s. Um, but yeah, he, um, he was the right guy, the right delivery, the kind of the, the mental picture I had as I was, uh, as I was putting together the books. And that's why I found it so humorous when you, when you pointed that out, I thought, oh my goodness. All right. Well, I guess we, I guess we captured it. Okay. Then
0: you did, you absolutely did. And this brings a question that I want to pose to both of you. And I actually brought it up with, um, some folks at a book, um, festival, some other authors, how do you feel popular culture things like, let's say, Game of Thrones, which is, you know, this mega phenomenon that people that aren't even familiar with the books, you know, watch the HBO series, or you've got um, The Walking Dead, right, which is, mm-hmm. has this huge impact on zombies. How do you feel those, po- those cultural phenomenon in another media impact the authors of those genres? So, if somebody who writes a zombie in the zombie zone, right? Are mm-hmm. they f- are they naturally kind of forced to go along with what's now currently popular? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What do you guys think about kind of other cultural milestones influencing your writing? And we'll, we'll start with Philip on this one.
2: I don't know that they influence my writing so much as <clears throat> it just, um, maybe a little bit in the sense that I feel a little more safe exploring themes that maybe before would have been too nuanced or maybe too niche. I think one of the ways that things like Game of Thrones and other um, kind of fantasy type novels or even shows has really done since I was a kid reading fantasy and science fiction and things like that, is it's really gone mainstream. When I was a kid, it was only those, you know, basement-dwelling mouth-breathers that got into that kind of (laughs) stuff. At least that was the stereotype. (laughs) And now it's so mainstream that, I mean, you know, you have, you know, the popular kids at school playing Dungeons & Dragons, whereas, you know, that used to not be the case. And so these themes it's become safer and you can get more daring with them i think is probably the biggest impact i've seen anyway
0: okay martin what do you think
1: uh, yeah i um, a card carrying member of that mouth beating uh group <laughs> in uh, in my youth um no i, I listen I, I gotta tell you you know it, it it really struck a chord with me about um i was about three years ago uh, a very very close friend of mine, um, uh, who I would played D and D and God knows how many other games with over the years, uh, we had of course grown apart. He had his own family, and, and uh, he passed away suddenly, uh, aneurysm middle of the night, just one moment he's here, next minute he's gone. And um, the it very sad, but it it got me thinking again about that. You know, just like before, that whole if you want to go do something, you go do it. And I had noticed that I sort of walked past the, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons books at Barnes & Noble from time to time. And, you know, I'm still from that, that 70s era where, you know, you nobody know needs to see that you have these things. you got to hide this stuff, right? You don't want anybody to know that you have. And, you know, I'm seeing kids pulling these books off the shelf and going through them. And I felt like tackling the poor kid. No, no, don't don't they're gonna brand you a nerd it'll be terrible <laughs> so uh you know yeah. I, I, so then i, I but it, it was cute is i still couldn't buy the stupid books i had to go on amazon and order them hmm. and then when they got here yeah i know uh, a terrible hang up they showed up and you know my my sweet wife she's like what's that nothing it's nothing it's nothing at all I'll just put it on <laughs> it's just uh, just some things i was nothing at all And of course, you know I wait for my whole family. Yes, (laughs) right. Of course, you know it it really was. It was terrible. And then you know, so I go and I, my uh, my family goes to bed, and I'm like, let's just go get those books out here and open it. And I swear, I stayed up for a solid. Oh, two hours at least, um, you know, kind of leafing through these things. One, oh, my God, like you said, this stuff has become mainstream. There's color on these pages. Holy cow. I mean, the, the you know, I remember when we had scribbled notes in the corners. And, I mean, it looked like something Gary had, you know, Gygax had whipped up in his basement, which I think the first ones were. So, you know, you... I think so. Yeah. You know, so it was... It, it, it's... You know, it's... You want you want to be happy to see that happen right you know i've I've talked about this to people before I, you know the more people that get into something that you're interested in the more attention gets paid to it and a lot of times it it improves right i mean more people coming in the door means there's more options there's more items there's more i mean i i've gone back just recently and looked at the rpg world and thought oh i don't even recognize it it's it's grown yeah. immensely right it, it's changed so much um yeah. you know i'm I'm, I'm really hoping that people get into Banjo the same way because if I could really get people into Clawhammer Banjo, it would, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but it would, it would help me a lot. No. Yeah. Um, bottom line, I, I think anytime something becomes popular, like the, the Underworld movies, right, or the, um, you know, some of the other, uh, what is it, Lost Girl on sci-fi, right, some of that urban fantasy becomes popular, that, um, that it helps and it raises an awareness. Sadly... I'm kind of of the opinion there are there are people that like to read and there are people that don't mm-hmm. and you're you're always going to have a, a little bit of both right and, and there'll be plenty of people that will watch all of the Game of Thrones but they won't ever crack a book because it's just not it doesn't appeal to them it's not what they want to do mm-hmm. but the people that do enjoy Game of Thrones and that want to read the books and read the books well. Now, all of a sudden, that they might start looking around for something else. They might stumble across something else that's similar, and it might, it, you know, something that maybe didn't exist before. Now there's all this new attention, you know, uh, applied to it, and maybe some creative person out there gets a, a bee in their bonnet to go write something else. And, you know, all of a sudden, there's a whole new opportunity. So at any time you're watering that garden, it can't be bad, I, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's also, yeah. it adds a... Um, there's, there's a seasonality, I think, to some of these genres. For example, I, I feel like Twilight and that whole Twilight craze and the glittery vampires mm-hmm. and all that stuff, it, it really hit a peak as far as in pop culture and also, I think, in writing. But I don't see as many of those kind of stories anymore. And, and maybe I'm not looking in the right places because that's not typically what I reach for, but... I do think you see ebbs and flows when it becomes something in the spotlight. So if you're an author mm. whose bread and butter is sparkly vampires, I think you're going to hit a peak if you happen to be in the moment, you know, when that tide rises. But when it goes out, you could be left out there on the island and people have moved on to the next thing, right? The Sparkly the s- werewolves. Right, exactly. And I, And I think that you do have the werewolf, the zombie, the monster... Yeah, um, mm-hmm. those things, th- we always come back to them, but I don't know that we always are consuming them on a steady diet. Mm-hmm. And and I think for people who write in those niche zones, I think that can be a challenge. Like you're either going to have to flow along with the next big thing or you just keep doing what you do and you don't worry about, you know, whether you're on the top 50 list or not. Right. So I guess that kind of segues into my next question, which is about marketing and about do you write the story you want to tell or do you write your story always thinking about the market? What is it that the reader is expecting and are you writing really on brand? So I'll start with Martin on that.
1: Okay. Um, Let's see how best to answer that. Uh, Tales of Weird Florida, for instance, uh, I wrote that because it was something I, I really wanted to write, um, and I really didn't know how it was going to go. I knew I had five books, and you know, uh, I had a sort of a quota for five books, but I didn't know, have a clue how it was all going to fall out. The key there for me was that it was a little bit of both. I, mean, I hate to say it, but I'm going to kind of straddle the fence. I looked at the, we'll call it the adventure side, or the uh, the non-romance side of urban fantasy, and I felt like it was... It, it there there was still a goodly bit of room there, and there was still a, an opportunity to to slide into a spot there, and I also felt like um, there hadn't been a new uh, Dresden Files book in I think four or five years, so there was a there was probably some some individuals that were very hungry for something that was you know again not the romance but more of a an uh thriller slash mystery or uh, urban fantasy. So I sort of. You know, now listen, if I woke up tomorrow and it was wildly popular and Bruce Campbell calls me up and we're off and running, well, you know, hey, that's great. And I would not uh, look that gift uh, horse in the mouth at all. But at the same time, if it didn't, I I still am am very happy with the the story as it's written, even if it only does marginally. Um, it, uh, it, it's a stepping stone in that, in that goal of sort of continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, there'll be five more books that will be written next year. So, you know, we'll see how those go.
0: And you, But you did kind of start this journey with comp a- authors in mind. I mean, you mentioned the Dresden Files. So you kind yes. of already knew the market you were aiming for.
1: And it's because it was a market I loved. So I looked at it and I said I like these kinds of books. This is this is the, you know, space I really enjoy. So I'm just going to write the kind of books that I would have enjoyed. Now, that may be an absolutely wrong way to do it. I would, you know, there's no way that I would stand up and say, "Everyone follow me. I know what I'm doing." You know, I, but it was something I enjoyed, so that was, you know, what made me want to go down that path. I figure I'm going to write a better book if it's something I really enjoy than, mm-hmm. you know, I'm writing something sort of for the technical you know, I, I've tried many times to write a traditional thriller, and by the end of the first act, there's a monster, and I, I get so angry with myself, but it, you know, sure enough, the supernaturalness just pops up. I can't sort of not do it, mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm, I figure, well, if this is what it is, then this is what we'll do, and, and we'll see how it goes.
0: So, Philip, what about you? Did you write your series with the market in mind, or did you just write the story and then figure out the market?
2: I I think I wrote the story and figured out the market. I mean, I'm familiar with... I I mean, I'm a pretty... um, I read a lot, so I've definitely done a lot of reading in the genres that I I, um, wrote in. But I also feel like there's a lot of material out there, and I found myself wading through a lot of novels... um, in varying degrees of quality. Um, and and in a large part, um, fantasy, urban fantasy, things like that, kind of have been largely disappointing for me, even though I love the idea and the concept, and I've seen some executed very well. But um, like Martin, like I don't mind, um, you know, romance subplots but I'm not really interested in reading just like a completely romance novel that just happens to have monsters in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so you know to me I kind of I I was writing about themes that interested me in stories like personal horror and um and you know just themes that I so I really wrote what I was interested in reading and I figured I can't possibly be the only person that wants to read this so to me it was more about plugging it into a market that could best fit in mm-hmm.
1: bingo yeah I I, that, I would agree completely there are more Phillips out there they, they exist and they will like what, what you're doing so I, that's exactly the way I looked at it I hope so
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, f- for me, I, I come from the um, sausage, sausage style of writing, which is I just take everything that interests me and I whip it into a grinder. And the thing that comes out, I think, is pretty tasty, but it might be hard to classify. And mm-hmm. that, that has been, I think, for me over the last year, because this is book three now that's come out in the last year, right. the struggle is there are all these really neat boxes that your book is supposed to fit into, you know, one of your 10 Amazon categories, right? And you have to <laughs> you have to pick your category that you fit in, and you have to make sure your cover looks like every other cover because the reader isn't going to want a cover that doesn't meet their expectations of the genre. Yeah. And to, and that sounds jaded and kind of, you know, hinky to say, but that that's kind of been my experience is that I've had feedback from other authors saying, oh, well, you know, I really like your series, but it's never going to sell because your cover doesn't match the genre. And I, my response to that is, well, yeah, neither does the inside. It's not, it's not what I would call squarely within these boxes. It kind of straddles right. a few few categories right so it doesn't feel fair to the reader to put a cover on it that squarely says this is cozy mystery right when it has strong elements of other things I don't want somebody to buy it and say well wow this isn't this isn't at all what I thought it was gonna be right so I wanted the cover to kind of reflect that yeah it's not exactly maybe what you expect and for Mm -hmm. good or for bad. I'm kind of living with the repercussions of that conscious decision (laughs) in being able to, okay, how do I find, how do I market this? How do I get it to the readers? Because I agree with both of you. I think we all have stories that people are going to like. The question is, how do you find those people and get Mm -hmm. them hooked? Well, that's, yeah. that's always the question.
1: <laughs> and, and when you do, give them one of my books too. Okay?
0: Right, right. So that's, <laughs> for me, that's, that's why marketing is always something I ask because yeah. I'm struggling with it and, and I keep it's refining hard. it. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's, I, it's really hard.
1: I agree. It's very hard. It's very, very hard, especially given the, you know, the, the, the sheer volume, you know, it's, it's the, it's an entire stadium worth of, of, you know, of books all staring at you and, you mm-hmm. know, they're. they're they're popping up all over the place, and I think you know when it comes down to. And I, I I've have never seen marketing more effective than that whole world word of mouth. And as sad as it is, and as frustrating as it is, you know, look at something like The Martian. Right when mm-hmm. The Martian came out, I mean, it was I at least from what I could tell, there was nothing that put it in front of me other than somebody who lives three doors down, and they had just you know they were done cutting their grass, and they flagged me down to say, hey. You like this kind of spacey stuff, right? Um, well, sure, I think. So they shove a book in my hands, and you know, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it. It was outside of my normal reading, but boy, I, I, it was it was excellent. Mm-hmm. But when I looked around, all of a sudden, I found people recommending it all over the place. And you know, I think that as as crazy as it is, that's that's really the only the only solution that works. You know, well, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, you get that word of mouth going, and Katie bar the door you have you know tremendous success but I think the chances of that happening are are of course you know akin to winning the lottery Uh, you know the right person has to hit it and they have to read it and they have to tell the right other people who tell other people and yeah it's 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 slim but boy that's a scary uh, scary good problem to have wouldn't it be
0: yeah well that that and that kind of dovetails into the whole philosophy of reviews Mm -hmm. Um, you know independent authors in particular um, I think walk a fine line of um, imploring their readers, please give me a review, right? Because it's so important right. for visibility. You know, people don't, oh, yeah. people don't tend to buy books that don't have reviews or only have one review or something like that. So you want volume, but you also want, you know, you don't want one star, right? Nobody wants one star. So you, want, you, no. you walk this weird line of, I really want you to review my book, but only if you like it right? You, you can't tell them that. <laughs> yeah. But you—but that's what you want, right? You don't want, don't go on to review me and give me one star. Just, you know, exactly. three and exactly. up, please You know, <laughs> review me. But then the question is, to readers who aren't also writers, do they view reviews the same way we do? I ask my friends in my circle, do you guys look at reviews before you buy books? And a lot of them say no. A lot of them have, sure. they go off the cover. <laughs> right. um, oh, yeah. They go off of, does it have a good, um, you know, hook? You know, right. something catchy that grabs, grabs them in the blurb.
2: Right.
0: Um, Not
1: the blurbs. Is
0: it seasonal? Sure. Like, is it Halloween? Right. I want to read something spooky, right? I mean, so there's all right. these different factors, but reviews aren't always even near the top of the list. So right. do you think we as authors yeah. spend too much time worrying about reviews? Philip, what do you well, think? They
1: are, they are kinda like crack rock. So. <laughs> <clears throat> they are highly addictive. You know, you get one review, even if, I got one via text from an arc reader, and I I've probably read it twelve times today. I got it two weeks ago. Um, you know, it's just you 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 need that, right? There's that little bit of validation. I'm sorry, Philip, I didn't mean to jump on top of you there.
0: Oh no no. So what do you think, Philip? Do you think reviews are I, something we should worry about? I
2: you know, I, you know I don't look at reviews when I'm looking at what I'm interested in reading. Um, I look at the summary. Um, I, I also rely on word of mouth from friends of mine who, you know, make recommendations. Um, and sometimes if I look at a summary and it's like, Oh, this looks interesting. I'll just glance down, you know, the star ratings, but you know, I, I really, I don't take a lot of time to read any reviews unless they're my own. Interesting. And I think that what I've been told, um, by my publisher is that on Amazon anyway, in order to really get caught up in the, the tides of, of, um, getting picked up and being noticed there, you have to get about 50 reviews in, which is my impossible. (laughs) I mean, it has thus far proven nearly impossible, but um, yeah, I, you know, I don't fully understand how that works on the background, but to me as a consumer, um, they have never really mattered. Like if, if, martin's book had no reviews just based on what i know i would give it a try i thank you
0: what about you martin do you read reviews Mm -hmm. do you look for number quality what do you look for
1: well again i think as an author um reviews are are essentially lifeblood um you know we become almost review vampires as time goes on without them (laughs) it's hard to function you know, that's I. I, I have been uh, the guy that wakes up first thing in the morning to see if any of my ARC readers have sent me any anything 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 anything. You know, I've gone so far as to maybe poke them gently. So, how are you today? <laughs> is all is everything good with you? Oh, is that how why is you send me messages? Family?
0: Okay, good to know. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, so <clears throat> so that's 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 me speaking as the as a, a writer, um, but as a as a reader. I've always been far more apt to hit the button to say, "Let me see that first page. Mm. Let me read the first three lines. If you got me in the first three lines, if they're if they're clean, if their craft is 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 there, if the first three or four lines, if and, and even more so, if I'm going through and I find myself on like the third page, right, then." Oh boy! Now I'm going to buy the. I don't give it, I don't even. I don't pay any attention to the reviews at that point at all. If the first page or if the first even three or four lines catch me, then I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, you know, to me, that's that's the nice thing about that whole Amazon ebook because it's it's like those old days of being able to walk in the bookstore, pick it up, open it up, read the first few lines, and then tab forward, you know, thumb your way forward halfway through and just grab a paragraph and, and read it and see if the, if the flow was the same. You know, did they, did they put all their effort into that first chapter and then they just mailed it in in the second half? Um, and, you know, of course, if those things sort of balanced out, then yeah, hey, this has got some potential. Um, but, uh, no, as an author, um, reviews are uh, most assuredly lifeblood. Without them we probably just shrivel up and die.
0: <laughs> it's funny you say that because I'm the complete opposite. I never use the look feature ever.
1: Oh, really? Interesting. Um,
0: I always skim through the reviews. Um, I always look for volume of reviews. Um, oh,
1: uh, so I'm hosed. S-
0: no, I mean, I, I think I'm in the minority. Honestly, I do. I think I'm in the minority. Um, I just, uh, for some reason, I've never gotten into the habit of using the look feature. Um, I think, I don't know what it is. It's just, I have to feel this connection and maybe it is from the blurb and maybe it is Mm -hmm. from that peer uh, validation, you know, that that somebody else has gone first and said, yeah, you're really going to like this, right? And then, so I give that some credence and not individual reviews so much, Mm -hmm. more just the collective. If most people like it, to me that weighs more than one really stellar review. I
1: see. So, yeah, no, that I, makes sense. You
0: know, but yeah. I'm I'm an oddball, so there's no news there. Um,
1: hey, listen, they wouldn't <laughs> put well, the reviews up all... if they didn't get value. <laughs> uh,
2: so, well, let's, I think we all but, look for different things, right? I yeah. mean, I don't think I mean, you know, I'm not going to say I never look at reviews, but that is not something I normally do. And I do use the look feature but I'm the only thing I look for when I'm doing that is I just I don't particularly care for first person writing Mm. so if a book is in the first person I usually just go unless it's something really gripping I put it away interesting not my style okay
0: well that's good to know yeah so let's segue a little bit into how Martin crafted five novel novels simultaneously without losing his mind so tell I mean, us how that last all went part may not be true. <laughs> so tell us how that went.
1: Um, it was a it was a very much a unique experience. I don't know that I would um, well, I mean I'm still somewhat in the middle, you know in the in the tail end of it now. Um, it, it was It was a very odd way to go about doing things. Um, but in, in the end it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, essentially, I wrote the first book. And I made sure to pepper it, like I said, with all sorts of hints to events in the past, or or names of things, or names of places, things like that. That you know that uh, I, even I didn't know what they meant or what they were. You know, maybe Gene would you know talk with disdain about something that happened in the in the glades four years earlier, and I would think to myself, Huh, I wonder what happened in the glades four years ago. No idea. We'll find out. And the story would continue, and then when we, as we got into these deeper books, they, those, those uh, opportunities that, you know, that, that we talk about or that the characters would, would discuss, they could become parts of those future books. And the tremendous challenge, like we said, was to reach something like book four and book five and then say, okay, so this is finally what this means. So where all did I use that in the last half million words mm-hmm. that I need to adjust and make sure that it lines up? So it, it sort of helped to think of the, the five books as really one giant story in my head. And then sort of continuously making sure that, that your revisions were, were sanding and not rasping the wood. Mm-hmm. You know, let's make sure that it stays as somewhat the same uh, the same shape but like I said, I think Philip said it best. It was a recipe for insanity. It was a <laughs> it was exceedingly difficult to do um, But what was what's been very strange my beta reader um, who is an absolute sweetheart of a person um, Could not have done this without uh, her help she um, She has started to point out that times in the first few books where I Foreshadowed things that happened in the fifth book. And I didn't even know that's what was going to happen i mean it was very weird how this sort of just happened Mm. there was no there was no full outline there was no you know large arc and you know crazy brain mapping thing now it's just like they say what you you know you can only see as far as your headlights go on that dark road and you know you'll know where to take the turn when you see it and that's really what it um what it became and it was um it was a tremendously enjoyable um, uh, process. It really was. It, um, I had a lot of fun doing it. It hurt like hell, but um, I had a lot of fun doing it at the same time, so much so that uh, you know, hopefully there will be a little success and I'll, um, I'll be able to uh, put some energy into the next uh, uh, five-book series uh, next year.
0: Well, I remember some conversations we had when you were working, I believe, on the fifth book and then you would say, mm-hmm. oh, I've got to go back now and edit book one or book three yeah. or book two or whatever. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the part that I found daunting, that, that feeling of those other books not being done. They're just kind of in this holding pattern waiting for you to close the loop. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I could do that. I think I have to be more linear. And even if I box myself a little bit into a corner in a later book, I'm mm-hmm. still using kind of the framework of the house from book one mm-hmm. to lean on, right? Sure. But yours was oh, yeah. more of a of a fluid process, and that's the part that yeah. I found really amazing, this kind of fluidity where you kind of went between all five at the same time.
1: Yes, and <clears throat> essentially what would happen is each one of the books when they were finished was a complete work, it, and you it was... Revised and cleaned up, and you know, sure we still needed to go to the editor and things like that. But you could sit down and read it, which the beta reader did. She was more like an alpha reader almost. But the idea was that you know we could take this character whose motivation, we you know, we, we knew we wanted them doing this these things, but we didn't quite understand their motivation yet. but by the time we got to book four and into book five, hey, hey, now we really understand this motivation. So we could slide back around and tweak things just so to make it, for instance, to make that motivation make sense and to make some of that dialogue really pop mm-hmm. and to, to, to hint at things that would happen farther into the future. And then, of course, the real crazy part is that uh, those five books are not sequential. So book one, book three, and book five are, are the trilogy. Books two and four take place in the past. And they are points in our our hero's life before the, the events of Dead Set. The first, one, the second book is all about his time in college. There are um, there's an ex uh, there's an ex girlfriend. You know, of course, when he met his his you know who would become his wife, things like that. That all happens in that book too. So not only was this a continuous sort of mental narrative two of the books actually took place before the other three. Mm. So it, the entire time you had to make sure that you never hinted at something that someone wouldn't know at the time that they would have known to not know it, you know? <laughs> yes. So uh, I do so know. That one, <laughs> that one was, was really, and it was cute because that was about the time when I listened to to the podcast with uh, Cassandra Kim and Philip said that sounds like a recipe for insanity. And I can remember vividly sitting at my desk going, "You're damn straight it is. I'm going bananas over here." But um, but just like uh, just like some other authors you talk to, I mean, you, you kind of do it one way, and you you sort of think, "Well, hell, I don't know how to not do it this way. Right. This is just how am I?" Messed up noodle works, so I have to noodle the way it goes, and
0: it works for you. That's what that is it, all that matters. It, it right? does,
1: it does, and I'm sure it, I'll, you know, it'll uh, later uh, put some therapists through kids through college. So it's uh, it's great.
0: Well, one one thing I think that maybe you are a mad genius on this front is that now that you have, I, I was always stunned. Like, why isn't he launching book one and building momentum and getting his audience? Mm-hmm. But y- now you have this complete package, you can yes. be strategic in how you roll it out, like you're picking Halloween to launch book mm-hmm. one. I mean, you're being very deliberate, where I think I was just so excited to be, okay, I'm going to put it out, I'm going to put it out, right? Um, right? Because there was this this energy of wanting to start to build my readership, and I think mm-hmm. you're doing it in a much more methodical way, and you've got now this whole back catalog, this, you know, five books that you can be very strategic mm-hmm. with, so it's a different approach, but I think in the end, you, it may be the smarter approach.
1: You know, I, I appreciate that. I think it's, initially it was more, to, to be honest, I finished that first book and I said, well, listen, I have no idea if I'm going to keep all these things the same by the time I get to the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So if I brought it out, then I would have immediately felt sort of handcuffed, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, maybe in, a, in an early scene, I have Gene do X, Y, or Z. And later on, you know, by the time I get to book four or five, I'm going, ah, oh, Gene would never do that. Mm-hmm. No, I shouldn't. And I didn't want to feel handcuffed. I didn't want to feel that way. So I said, ah, oh, the heck with it. Let's just, let's just write all five. And of course, at the time, it sounds really smart. I must have been drinking because it <laughs> sounded really smart. It was, I was like, yes, that sounds brilliant. And then, you know, of course, as you get into, say, as I was getting into book four, and I'm looking at, at your um, wildly inventive paranormal cozies. And I, I thought to myself, dang it, she's so far ahead. I wish I hadn't done this. And, you know, of course, you, you have those moments of self-doubt, right? Where you're thinking, can I pick out a great spot to lay down in traffic? No, don't do it. You can stay focused. Go move forward. And and that's really what it was. And so, I, so getting to that, the killer really was writing book five. Um, because at book four, you're thinking... Well, I have four books here, and it's still not done. It's been, you know, at that point, it would probably been about seven months. Uh, And I thought, oh, okay, so if you don't write book five, it's a total failure. So no pressure. Uh, (laughs) Now go write book five and wrap all this up so that you can go back and fix books one through four. Hey, everybody, break on three. And, um, yeah, that was... It was tough. I mean, it was uh, it was very difficult to write that final book. The only way, and I, I hopefully she listens to this podcast, but honestly, the only way I was made it through this was having that uh, beta reader. It, it was really crazy how that all went down. Mm. Um, at the time, she was a this this kind of assistant or secretary for my editor, and um, he sent me a nice email, and he said so. You know, this is my secretary was reading your manuscript, and you know, asked if she could take it to lunch, and you know, read it that evening, and you know, basically read the book. You, do you mind? And I thought, uh, sky blue. Uh, <laughs> go right ahead. Uh, certainly. Can I? Can I have their email? I would like to get some comments from them, and you know, pester them incessantly. And um, as as luck would have it, she did not mind being pestered incessantly, and um, was more than interested in reading every single one of the 12 pulp fiction stories that are part of weird Florida all of the novels um, the entire series all of it ahead of time and has been instrumental in telling me you, you know this this is good this isn't terrible this is I like this this is what you know this is this is fitting this and this fits that and this you know and it's been it's been huge sort of having having that I imagine, I imagine, not knowing, but I imagine that if you have your book out on Amazon or you're selling it and you go and you read some reviews and they warm your heart and you say, oh, yeah, all right, that's the motivation I need. I've read this review and it and it makes me feel validated as an artist and boy, I'm going to get in there and punch out some more words. Well, it's a long, dark tea time of the soul when you're on book four and you've written 420,000 words and you haven't heard anything from anybody because mm. nobody's read it. So, I mean, you're really sitting there thinking, man, I am an idiot. Oh, my gosh. What am I doing? So having her there to send me these messages and be like, so when's the next one? Do you have the Mm. next one? Is it done yet? I'll read the first section. You don't have to have the whole thing. Wow. I mean, it was, that was huge.
0: That's amazing. Without that, I couldn't have done it. Well, you need to name a character after her.
1: I mean, I sh- certainly, certainly do. <laughs> and I, probably, I? since the final books have not all reached the uh, the printers, you know the printer, the uh, the editor's table for everything, then i there's plenty of time to go back and do that. so uh, I'll have be to a lovely see what, tribute to, what she wants, <laughs> yes, <indeed. laughs> Well, and like I said, she knows the world so well, I'll let her make that choice.
0: There you go. Well, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you uh, a little bit about your thoughts on um, the collective anthology experience. So Martin and I worked on an anthology called Autumn Nights, 13 Spooky Tales. I can't remember the rest of the tag. Um, but w- kind of what was that like for you jumping into a group with there's actually 14 of us? Mm -hmm. Um, And we're hashing this thing out on a group Twitter chat. (laughs) And we've started working on it, I think, in August.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Yeah. What what was that collective process like for you as someone who was working, you know, so solo?
1: Uh, You know what it was? It was initially, it was abjectly terrifying. Um, And and only because um, I can remember very vividly, I was about neck deep in book three or four at the time. And you sent me a message and said, "Hey, they're looking for people. Do you want to get involved?" And I thought, "Oh, geez. Well, I've really not had very many people ever read anything I've written. Uh, okay, can I do this? Is it gonna, you know, is uh, you know, the, you you keep thinking having of of those flashbacks. They're all gonna laugh at you, you know." I said, oh, "No, no. I, I, you can do it. You you can do it." So when I got in and and agreed to doing it, um, I'll be honest. I think I wrote five short stories to try to find one that I wanted to put in the anthology I mean I wow. like I said I write about 3,000 words a day so a standard short story for me is about 6,000 words so I think I took about a week and wrote at least four of them mm. and then you know and each time I'd write one I'm like no it's not good enough throw it out start over again no, it's not it's not good enough throw it out and I just I just kept beating and beating on this because I kept thinking you know, there's a bunch of published authors on here. I mean, these are these are a bunch of people that know what they're doing. And they let you in here, man. <laughs> they didn't know what they were thinking. Ow. So I, you know, so but that's, that's the way your brain works, right? And, um, you know, that's the way that that goes. So you start, you know, I put a tremendous amount of energy into it a tremendous amount of effort into producing that that story for the anthology but the the whole experience of the anthology was um was a lot of fun as well you meet some very different writers with some very different you know very imaginative people and they all have you know they all kind of bring something uh, unique to the table um you had uh you know the people that are that are very organized and very focused and kind of put things together and you know keep us from um you know being lost in the tall grass you um, have really uh, artistically creative folks. We got to meet, um, you know, Edison was one of the, one of the authors in the anthologies when that also did the cover, um, which was really impressive to see. Um, you know, uh, like I tell people, Inktober is that time of the year where I find out wildly uh, talented people are more wildly talented than I originally thought. So it, it's a lot of fun to, to see that, to, to watch that sort of uh, unfold.
0: Absolutely. Um, For for me, I found the, it wasn't always daily, but it was usually daily kind of thread of conversation. One of the best parts of it, because it wasn't even always about the project. Some of it was other things going on in their work, or just kind of the zeitgeist of Twitter for that day or whatever. And it was just very illuminating to kind of see everybody's wheels turning and, and kind of what was important to them. And, you know, we're all, I think, on a different plane when it comes to kind of the social spectrum. Some people have, a, mm-hmm. you know, a million followers and some people don't. And and so it was just, it was like this giant Petri dish of kind of watching all these writers that were very different coming together and kind of giving us a chance to look inside their brains for a few months. And for me, that was probably the best part of it was just having, having that uh, availability of people that I could in a moment just say, hey, I've got this question, I've got this issue, I've got this thought and getting some pretty, pretty immediate feedback. So that oh, yeah. uh, I actually uh, put a dedication in book three to to the group because I did find it really useful to kind of have just that sounding board when when things you know I needed a I needed a little writer pick me up so um, it was a great project so for anybody who likes spooky shorts um, we'll give a little plug here and and uh, hope that you check it out because all the net proceeds go to the ASPCA so and Martin did all the formatting using vellum and I'm so jealous of that program but I don't have a Mac uh, yes, but just
1: like a monkey, I can press buttons like the. Oh no,
0: no! It's beautiful. It is. <laughs> true. It did turn
1: out nice, though. It's it a I work
0: did. of art. It's really the formatting is tremendous, especially with the little black kitties kind of sprinkled yeah. through the whole yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: we do. We put those little black cats, and that was the other day. I was on uh, was on Twitter, and someone's uh, some someone I guess was avoiding laundry, and reading a book, and you know I'm doing the the whole uh, CSI treatment. Like, wait a minute, zoom in. So I'm zooming in on that book. I'm like, wait, that's our jumping. That's our book. So I'm zooming and zooming and zooming. I'm like, that's that. we put that together. So um, it was hysterical because I, I was. It was one of those sort of surreal moments of somewhere in this world, there's a person avoiding laundry, right? And they're reading our book, right? Said, Whoa! All right, so that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty I mean, cool. That, that's really – it is. It's cool, and it's kind of part of the magic of, of really this uh, – the whole experience. Um, you know, Yeah, you you want to have that success. You want to have those reviewers. You want someone to, to read the book. Um, but I think at the end of the day, just really even just knowing that there's somebody out there that, that read it or enjoyed it, or as I've told the beta reader, if they walk away and, and carry a little of it with them after they're done – then, you know, that in and of itself is the uh, is our truest form of immortality. Agreed. Agreed.
0: So, we've come to the end of our uh, time, but I'm hoping, and I didn't ask Philip ahead of time, but I'm hoping he may have one of his special words for us, um, where we... I do. Good. Try to guess what a, a old word that's fallen out of use means. Um, Philip is a master of finding these obscure words, so... He's gonna try and stump us today.
1: Alright.
2: <laughs> well I got I got one that I think is super easy. And it is a noun and the word is pediophage. Whoa. Pediophage. Hm Yes. It's spelled. P A E D O P H A G E. Pediophage.
0: Hmm. I'm going to let Martin go first because I still need to think. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <gasps> and you said it was easy. That's the worst part.
1: <laughs> Pediophage. Wow, you know, I'm right now. My uh, my father, if he's listening to this, is is you know hollering at the uh, at the screen that I should remember this stuff from uh, all the years of Latin he made me take.
0: That's right. You Um, did take Latin. Yeah, I
1: did. I did four years of it, and I'm you know. Let's see. why couldn't it be
2: filed? Why why couldn't it easy? Because a lot of people have had Latin. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so that's why I thought it would be easy.
1: But I, the, the two parts of that word, I don't really remember the Latin meaning <laughs> for. So that's the killer. I can tell. I mean, I can see them. You could see them right there. But it's phage, phage, phage. That's the one that I, I feel like I should know what, the, uh, mm-hmm. what that root uh, means.
0: Me too, but I I don't have it. But let's give a wild guess. What do you got? And it's
2: somewhat thematic to the seasons. So just.
0: Oh, a hint, a hint. Okay. If that helps, it probably doesn't. Is that the Latin for pumpkin spice? That's what I'm going to go with.
1: <laughs> pumpkin spice. That's like
2: actually it. a really cool guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Martin, cool what's guess. your guess? I like. It's not right, <laughs> but I like. Darn.
1: It. <laughs> uh, I'm going with some kind of forbidden knowledge. Uh, uh, so I'm I think pulling from encyclopedia or patiophage. I I don't know. Ooh. That's my final answer. Okay. It, Arcane. Or it,
2: it is related to something very forbidden, at really? least culturally. And it does have to do, well, so the definition of pediophage is the eater of children.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, it's probably best that I didn't know that so, word.
2: Oof. That sounds uh, like a creature you know, it's for weird Florida. That you could use in a story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Amazing that that concept needed a word.
2: I That <laughs> would fit in. <laughs> mm, mm, mm.
0: That just floors me that somebody thought you know there's this concept we need a word for. Let's come up with something.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking of a word. Right. But yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, but, you know, yeah. I, I want to know if you could win oh, a Scrabble game with that. Right. Well, a yeah.
2: sage is also in the animal kingdom, and there are definitely animals that eat their young. Oh, there you That's go. true. So That's I true. Up a word for that. That
0: that makes me feel a little better that there's not actually you know a real driving That's, need that, on the human front that for that. Not,
2: yeah. Yeah, that was not necessarily <laughs> specifically created for humans, although it could. be be applied to them even though I don't know that that's I well I don't want to think about it. Too much, no,
0: but. let's not.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and there's
1: none of that in Tales of Weird Florida for anyone listening. Uh,
0: <laughs> not yet. <laughs> it, 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 it. Not yet. There may be well, something added to book 5 now, who knows. 5 I, books are written, so <laughs> you yeah, never know.
2: There, there, there there's the plot of your next novel. Yeah, that's the right. next series, right? There you go. <laughs>
0: Well, on a yeah, happier note, <laughs> Martin, give us all your social media so we can follow you and, and get some of these short stories and all
1: the news. Well, you'll want to just head on out to the the Martin Shannon website. I keep all of the uh, the links to the social media and stuff there. It's Martin Dash Shannon dot com. Someone over in Ireland already has martinshannon.com. so you'll have oh. to go with Martin hyphen or Dash Shannon dot com, and then you'll find. That's where all the short stories are. They're you know, free or, uh, or requiring only your email address. And then as well as all the information on uh, Dead Set, uh, Gathering Gloom, Beaten Path, Bloody Deed, and No Fury, the five books that make up the Tales of Weird Florida series.
0: Fantastic. Well, I will be finished with book one this weekend, and I can't wait to review it <laughs> and add my oh, review when it, yes, um, it- when it goes live uh, in a couple of weeks.
1: Yep, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'll just pester you daily and Please ask you do. how you're feeling, <laughs> and how you've been, and, you know how how is the weather yes. in, in Washington, and have you have you done anything interesting? Yes, like, read a book maybe. And, I have yeah. been
0: reading a very fascinating book indeed. Well, Excellent. thank thank you, Martin, for being our guest. We really appreciate it, and I just know this book is going to be a tremendous success because it just hooks you right from the beginning. It's it's so great, it really is.
1: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun.
0: All right, guys. Well, uh, happy writing, and uh, everybody check out Martin's work here uh, right around Halloween. Have a good one. This episode recorded at the Bigfoot headquarters. This has been a Swagamore production. production.